0: As I prepare this episode for you, I find that often when I I get these things ready for you, that sometimes they put me in a place of self reflection because so often these guests remind me of situations I was in going through my leadership journey. So a little bit of vulnerability here, but you know, we're all human and through the human experience, we can learn and elevate each other. So. Thinking back to my conversation with Mark Monchek, he talks about making mistakes, and I sometimes reflect upon a situation where I was leading a team and not necessarily a mistake, but I was in a place where I just didn't feel confident in my leadership because simply I lacked the information I needed to have context and guide the team, and it's not a comfortable place to be. And then Mark reminds me, he talks about mistakes or where we're not confident. When we make mistakes and we're not at our best, just know most of the time you are probably in a safe place and it is safe and it is okay as a leader to share how you are feeling And not see it as a failure on your part as a leader, but an opportunity to improve and maybe get a different result. And so in my particular situation, as I was leading this team, I simply said to them, I'm sorry, I'm missing some context. I don't necessarily understand your business. And if you could help me, I may be able to guide us to the solution that we need. And you know what? (laughs) The people came to my rescue. They took me offline. They filled in the blanks. I then understood the business and the business opportunities, and then I could help guide and move the team forward. So think about it. Think about your situation. Have you ever made a mistake or perhaps been in a place where you weren't fully confident? be vulnerable have the humility to share with others they may actually have your back and you achieve a greater outcome let's listen to this amazing conversation with mark
1: monchik when i've made a mistake as much as i wished i hadn't made it i like to acknowledge it i think when a leader acknowledges mistakes things have people then feel more permission more safety in themselves acknowledging mistakes and we realize that mistakes are usually made by more than one person usually there's some Kind of group lack of consciousness that happens usually it's not just one person, and then we always ask. So, what do we learn? What can we learn from this mistake? What's the opportunity? Sometimes mistakes are a tremendous opportunity to do something differently. Because if you didn't make a mistake, you wouldn't even think. Well, okay, well, could we not only just fix the mistake, but fix the root cause of the mistake, and that make the whole process even better?
0: Welcome to the Drop In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful that you've joined us for another episode of The Drop-In CEO podcast. I am so fortunate to be speaking to amazing leaders every week, gain insights from them and bring their conversations to you and hopefully inspire you. If you love this episode, I ask that you please rate, review, subscribe, and share with others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And my message to you is we are here for you to help leaders take control of their careers, get promoted, and see the business results that they want. So without further ado, I am excited to share the mic with my amazing guest, Mark Monchek, Mark is the founder and chief opportunity officer of Opportunity Lab, a strategic consulting firm focused on helping businesses thrive through disruption. He is the author of the Amazon nonfiction bestseller, Culture of Opportunity, How to Grow Your Business in an Age of Disruption. And Mark is particularly interesting to me because of his deep work and thoughts around empowering conscious leaders. So I'm not going to give away the rest of the story, Mark. It is my pleasure to welcome you onto the show.
1: Thank you. And thank you for the great work that you're doing, listening to a number of your episodes. I love the focus on empathy, the focus on vulnerability, the focus on leaders being human beings uh, responsible for the lives of other human beings. So that's been really a great, great pleasure to get to know the work that you're doing. And I'm very honored and excited to be here with you today.
0: All right. My pleasure. And thank you again. I do want to do something a little bit different with the show rather than us getting into the usual journey and the work that you're doing now. Sometimes it's important for my listeners to get to know somebody on a deeper level. And social media is a great source of inspiration. And recently, a post was put out on LinkedIn about stressed about circumstances, what was going on in the world. And you jumped on your bike and simply took a ride to a favorite spot where it was beautiful and you found peace. I was wondering what that moment was about uh, that you posted that, what was going on in your world and is biking a source of uh, calm for you?
1: Well, thanks, Deb. I am a member of a rare community of endangered species called New York City urban cyclists who bike every day, even in weather like we have today. So yeah, I mean, I get on my bike to be able to experience the city, to see the people on the streets, to see what's happening in the stores and in the communities, but also to get out in nature. I know you think we live in New York City, how could you possibly get out in nature? But New York City has some amazing places. Like if you're in Central Park, in the middle of Central Park, you might not even know what city that you're in. If you go up to uh, the Cloisters, you know, where the Metropolitan Museum has its second location, which focuses on medieval art, you might not even know that you're in New York City. So I use my bike to experience the life of the city, but sometimes it just gets very, very stressful, as you know, with all the disruption we've had. And I just go out there and just try to find some peace away from everything else where you're able to just be present and reflect what's actually happening inside myself or you know, in in the world that I am present to.
0: So that's music to my ears because I talk to the people that I mentor and on the show, sometimes we can get caught up in the day-to-day activity, we need time to decompress, pause and reflect, and just say, okay, let me just get out, as you say, in nature, smell the roses or whatever is in the environment and just reflect on the memory and the moment before you go back to the office and do the work we're supposed to. So, so important for leadership. But I want my listeners to get to know you a little bit. I um, brought Mark onto the show, just so you know, because his work around, yes, it's around disruption, But it's even a little bit more than that. Rather than just managing through disruption, it is about empowering conscious leaders. There is such depth to his thought leadership in that area that I felt it was really, really important for you to hear it. But Mark, please just give my listeners a little bit about context, about yourself personally, your journey, and the work that you're doing now.
1: Yes, thanks, Deb. So I'm going to tell you a story that happened last year that might give you a little insight into who I am and the work that I do and we do at Opportunity Lab. So back in April of 2021, I was researching a story I was writing about my family business. So I grew up at the intersection of business, psychology, and art. And everybody in my family, except for my parents, were entrepreneurs. My grandfather on my mother's side started a fine arts brush company in Germany. He had it stolen by the Nazis. He came over and restarted it on Bleecker Street in Greenwich Village in New York City. In 1938, my uncles and my one aunt, they started a toy business right after World War II. And my father and mother were the only people I know who didn't actually were in a business. My father was a doctor, a psychiatrist. My mother was an artist. So my family legacy has been so important to me, understanding like where I came from and what the influences uh, have been for myself. So I was called up a couple of my cousins uh, back just about a year ago. And I wanted it was a question about how our family business on the toy side, on my father's side, how they got to a certain point in their development. So I called up a few of my cousins and I realized that we as a group of cousins, some of us hadn't been together for 20, 30, 40 years. So as a result of this phone call and getting an answer to my question, I actually gathered about 12 cousins from different generations on Zoom every month and started a journey of discovering lost cousins, and I found one in Los Altos in Silicon Valley that I didn't even know existed, founding her through Ancestry.com. So in the journey that we had as a family, the Munchak family on my father's side, and the Schultz family on my mother's side, I found out where my parents were born when they came to the United States. I know the ship that they were on, the year that they came. I knew how much money... They listed, they had in their pocket where they landed and all the basic facts you would want to know about your own lineage. So why is this important for conscious leaders? Well, we're in an age of disruption and we think the disruption of COVID is, you know, one of the most horrific things that has ever happened to us. And it, it, it is absolutely horrific. But when I think about what my parents had to live through in the Russian empire, which had a section of the Russian empire called the Pale of Settlement where Jews had to live because they were not allowed to live in other places. And so my parents lived through the 1918 flu pandemic when some estimated 75 to 100 million people died around the world. And it was probably the first global pandemic because the way that it started, it was not the Spanish flu. They thought that it started in Spain, but actually did not. It was actually American servicemen from a base in Kansas in the United States Going to Europe and, and then coming back, that was the kind of genesis of what they called the, the Spanish flu. So it was actually spread around the world through world travel, which we actually have much more today than we ever had back then. And they lived through the Great Depression. They lived through the Holocaust, through World War II, you know, through the Cold War, and of course, you know, later on past that. So as I got to know my own family's history, I wanted to understand how does that impact my business? Opportunity Lab, and how does it impact our clients, you know, conscious leaders? So, the one thing that kind of stood out to me the most is how our family made adversity into opportunity, how they had a mindset to be able to say, yeah, this is really terrible, and this is absolutely horrific that's happening. So, but what do we do about it? How do we make it into something that's good? And so, that's been, you know, my kind of DNA in my life is how do you create opportunity out of adversity, and how do you acknowledge the pain, the suffering, And not wish it away and not pretend it didn't happen, but actually really be empathetic about it and then say, okay, now that I'm empathizing about it and helping the people who are really immediately impacted by it, what do we do to actually make it something that could end up to be good for us? So that's a a legacy from our family. And then to look at how do we do it together? Because I think one of the troubling things about American life is that we fetishize and we lionize the individual as the unit of being right? We talk about your individual health. You go to the doctor, you go as an individual. Well, you know what? You're not an individual. You are a father or a mother. You're a husband. You're a friend. You're a son. You live in a family unit. So everybody has a family. Everybody has some place where they work. Everybody has some place where they live. And so I think if we think of ourselves as units, social units, social tribes, social plans, social what have you, organizations, we would think more collaboratively, we'd think more diversely, we'd think more inclusively rather than think, I'm just an individual. So when people do go to the doctor, the doctor actually doesn't even know what's wrong with you because the doctor doesn't talk to your husband or your wife or your friend or your kids or your neighbors to know actually what you're doing in your life. And when you come back from the doctor, you are not supported because the the people around you have to support your lifestyle change. If you want to lose weight, if you want to change some habit like smoking, if you want to do more exercise, you're not going to do this alone. You're going to have to do it with some kind of support system. So the same happens in organizations. So when CEOs understand that they are simply a steward of their network, of their people who report to them and the people who are their customers and their communities they do business in they are, are much more capable of managing through this disruption than if they think of themselves as an individual leader.
0: I love your insight there. And there is so much depth. And interestingly enough, I had picked up on a LinkedIn article where you talk about going back and looking at your lineage, understanding where you came from, understanding the hardship and issues to understand why your world is the way it is right now. So that tells me a signal we are on the same page. But what I really love what you've done here is that you have brought out something really important. And I will share with you that I have always been an individual. I got here on my own. (laughs) You know, I'm one of those very independent kids. My mother will tell you, I'm very, very stubborn. But the truth is, as much as we try to move forward in culture and society based on our individual achievements, you can't do it without the success and support of others. Even as recently as a week ago. We want to be in better health. My husband met with somebody about a different program to get more healthy. I went with, because as these changes make, Dan and I, my husband, have to make them together. So it's almost going back to many, many years ago. It takes a village to raise a family, a child. The U.S. is very individualistic, but we might go back a little bit and understand a sense of community, what we do with that and how we can impact that. And so Thank you for that. And I would love to go deeper into what you talk about empowering conscious leaders. Empowering conscious leaders, what does that mean? I think you have a different perspective about that in terms of leadership that I've never heard before.
1: Yeah, Deb. So when I talk about conscious leaders, my definition of consciousness is a leader who is aware of her or his responsibility to Customers, associates, and the communities that they do business in, which includes the the entire planet. So, a conscious leader is aware that he or she or they are in a larger world, have a responsibility to that world, and are no longer just employing human capital, which is a term I most hate, but you're actually a steward of resources that you have been given and therefore have responsibility to guide. In an understanding, you're part of an interdependent ecosystem. So one of the changes that I've seen happen during the pandemic is that the relationship between employers and employees has radically changed. Before the pandemic, I think a lot of leaders, CEOs, and people who run companies thought, well, I am paying our employees so I have some control over their time. So I'm paying you X amount of money, and I should be able to control where you work and when you work and how you work. Well, the pandemic upended all of that because people, uh, many, many people, not everybody, moved to working wherever they could work, whether it be at home or whether it be in a Starbucks or in some other place where they were able to work. And they actually had much more flexibility, even though it was stressful. They didn't have a two-hour, three-hour commute. And when uh, Gallup polled the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies in April or so of 2020, 75% of them said, we don't think it's going to work. We don't think people will be able to work remotely because we don't not sure that they will be able to be autonomous enough and responsible enough. And guess what? They were wrong. They were wrong because people were much more responsible, much more committed. And that three hour commute, two of those three hours, they gave back to their company. But they also got the flexibilities when they had to go to the doctor at 10 o'clock in the morning. They didn't have to ask permission, which they used to do because they would have to say, well, I'm not going to be in the office today. Well, you know, they weren't in the physical office. So they actually had that more flexibility. And after a while, people said, I don't want to lose that anymore. I don't want to feel like I have to be forced to be in a particular place at a particular time. And now I want my freedom, but I also want some affiliation. I, I want to work with my company. I want to be in community with my company but I want to be in in a different way. So the companies that have done well with that have understood, you know what, we're actually need to develop a partnership with our employees so that we give them what they need. And, but they also give us what we need. And there is a a really good collaborative balance in doing that. So we've had a number of clients that have been really successful because they have changed the way they looked at their employees, understanding them better as partners. And I, I, I see that change as being a very positive one. Some companies have not quite gone there and maybe aren't sure that they want to go there. But that's really what the future is, I think, in, in having a true partnership between the people who work for companies, which are not just employees, by the way. There's a lot more people who are uh, 1099 contractors who are essential to the company's existence. And there's got to be a way that everybody has enough of what they need so it works over time.
0: So, so important. And I have worked with companies that truly Understand, you know, make it flexible, provide valuable, purposeful work. The people will work twice as hard, even amidst adversity, pandemic, supply chain issues. I'm working with one right now that, due to the supply chain issues, their world has turned upside down, but they are heads down wherever they need to work in order to get things done because of the leadership. But I want to just turn this a little bit to, you know, you have the good fortune, I've had the good fortune of working with conscious leaders. They just understand, I need to be ready to anticipate change. I need to respond to the people, the changing situations rather than being a victim. But for those people that are listening out there that maybe haven't changed their ways, haven't really listened to the culture, and maybe if they don't listen now, the next disruption is going to catch them off guard and have a major impact on them. What would you say to those leaders right now if they haven't become a conscious leader, what should they be thinking about? What can they do now so that they're not caught off guard with the next disruption?
1: It's a really good question and a very difficult question. So I want to answer it with great respect. I don't, think, I don't think it's helpful to say I am or I am not a conscious leader. It's almost like we're labeling somebody. My brother had mentioned to me a book that he read a number of years ago, which I love the title, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. It's like, it's very hard for us because we grew up in an educational system is when we made a mistake, we, we got an F on a test. It was a tremendous shame. It was just this awful. To make a mistake was just a terrible thing. And I, you know, I grew up as an athlete and to lose a game or to miss a ball was just a crime against humanity. So my answer to the question, Deb, is I think if we Understand that we are all humans and all fallible and we all make mistakes and we are all unconscious leaders at certain times. Even people who are really strive to be conscious, we are all have a level of unconsciousness and unawareness of those things. So rather than say some people are conscious and some people are not conscious, to say, what is it that I myself as a leader need to do that I can be a better leader? And how can I get honest feedback from people who know what I do better than myself? So I think. You know, people who aspire to be conscious leaders really have a discipline of asking for feedback and truly wanting it and truly receiving it, even if it's something you don't want to hear. So I think that is a, one of the hallmarks of conscious leaders to be able to ask for feedback from customers, from employees, from partners, from whoever knows you well. And so I, that would be my my first piece of advice would be to really welcome and and make that a structure that you use on at least a weekly basis, if not more.
0: I so love this because you're speaking to my heart. You're speaking to so much that I have mentored people in that sometimes when you engage with your leadership, you know they may not be giving you the feedback you want, but ask questions. When you saw me in that situation, what did I do well? What should I maybe change? Because they want to improve and by asking better questions, about performance or situations, they are on the path to becoming the leaders they want to be. Even now, I'm on a consulting assignment four weeks in, and I am asking now, what should I continue because I am there to serve and, and help them with value, and what should I change? And so even though I know it's early in the process, I want to make sure that I ask all the right questions, I have all the information so that I can continue to perform at the highest level. So, leaders need to know how to ask better questions, ask for feedback, and be ready to receive. And even if it's contrary or they don't like it, pause, listen to it. It may not be exactly what you want to hear, but there is something in there that maybe you can glean that you could change or consider. So, I so appreciate that insight.
1: And then the next thing I think you've mentioned this on, on previous shows is acknowledging a mistake. You know, when, when I've made a mistake, as much as I wished I hadn't made it, I like to acknowledge it and say, we had an invoicing mistake that we made, which happened recently. And I said to our team, like, I look back on it, and there was a question I wished I would have asked, and I didn't ask it. And I, I take responsibility for not asking it. And so I own this particular problem. And it engendered a discussion about, okay, how did we miss that what can we do differently? How do we set it up so that it's more transparent and that if there is a mistake, it'll be caught earlier? I think when a leader acknowledges mistakes, people then feel more permission, more, more safety in themselves acknowledging mistakes. And we realize that mistakes are usually made by more than one person. Usually there's some kind of group that's usually not just one person. And then we always ask So, what do we learn? What can we learn from this mistake? What's the opportunity? Sometimes mistakes are a tremendous opportunity to do something differently because if you didn't make a mistake you wouldn't even think okay well could we not only just fix the mistake but fix the root cause of the mistake and that make the whole process even better
0: <laughs> so you're speaking to the engineer and me i mean i also teach root cause so often we just fix things at the surface but asking better questions we get to the root cause and also I'll say, I'm an optimist. It's data, it's information. Yes, it's a mistake because we have to profile things as good or bad. I just say, that's just information or data. What can we do with that? You know, and it painted in a framework of being positive. But I want to give you credit first. You've done some amazing things. You've got some great resources to help people. And two things I want to go into is you have written the book, The Culture of Opportunity, and also you have an opportunity community. My question about writing the book, not just about what the book is, but what did writing the book do to you? Because so often as law authors, we put our thoughts into it. This is our business card. But I would also know what was the experience like for you putting this book to paper? What impact it might've had on you as a person?
1: That's a great question. I wish more people would ask that question because I think it's very profound. You know, when you write a book, I found that I learned much more about the work that had been done by actually finding a way I could communicate it to people that knew nothing about me or nothing about our company. And also honoring the clients we work with and understanding how co-creative the process was that we got the results together. So it kind of deepened my understanding of the work we do, in particular, the cultural opportunity process. And also it gave me an opportunity to say, yeah, but now it's different. Let me updated. So actually, we have a piece that I'm coming out with called Five Ways to Be Strategic in an Age of Disruption, which is kind of a sequel to the book. It's 15 pages, so it's not a full sequel. But it made me think, so what is different about now than when in 2017, when I wrote the book, I thought that was a real huge disruption. It was the very very beginning of the Trump administration. So many things were being disrupted. Now the disruption feel like it's, it's taken another turn to be more radical and also more permanent like i think we are living in a time when the dust isn't going to settle in the way that it used to settle it it's go- there's going to be some steady state but we have to create that steady state rather than expecting that the outside conditions will create that steady state for us so in the writing of the book it also created more dialogue with people cuz once i had a, the book out there i was able to talk about what we do much more articulately than before so people actually had a well, why do you do it this way, or why did why didn't you do it that way? So we've learned how to improve some of the things from those dialogues.
0: So what's so familiar to me is I too wrote the CEO's Compass, and it was a way to distill what I was thinking and to be able to communicate how do I go into businesses and help them, or how can they help themselves. So it is a great process to go through. But I will tell you. So and the lesson I take from this is leaders do what they do. They finish a project, they have an impact on the bottom line, they increase sales, they lead initiatives. And then when they get to that place of, okay, I've done that, then they, you know, they look at themselves and say, okay, well, I've achieved this, but you know what, we need to go back and reflect how have we changed in the process and what have we learned as individuals in terms of our performance or growth, et cetera. Because when we reflect on how we change as people regardless of the work we had, only then can we continue and replicate and grow, et cetera. So leaders do great work, but that personal development, writing a book, creating a new program, all of that's so important for us to continue to develop as leaders. But I wanna ask you another question because there's the book, there's the consulting that you do as well, but you also have another resource for which you periodically meet with leaders and offer them a forum in through your opportunity community. I would love for people to know More about that as a way to engage with you, your work, and other leaders.
1: Mm -hmm. So, Deb, we started Opportunity Community at the very beginning of the pandemic in April of 2020. So I saw very quickly that this was going to be a disruption that could very well isolate people, disconnect people from the way that they were communicating with their peers, with their colleagues, with their employees. with everybody important to their life. So we started in April with probably about 40 people. And these were people I have known for 30, 40, 20 years, you know, and, and people I met yesterday, leaders of companies, uh, leaders of arts and nonprofit organizations, civic leaders, artists, educators, to bring them together to have a place where they could share how the disruption was affecting them, to have somebody help them get through some tough times, to be able to share information about what was working and you know what other people were doing. And we've actually had people from the Netherlands. We've had people from Australia, from New Zealand, from Africa, so that we're understanding we're in a larger world. It's not just the United States. If COVID did anything, I think that's positive is to understand we are absolutely interdependent and global. So even somebody that had never been outside of their local community maybe now understands that we're dependent on other countries and other people and other cultures and other languages and other, you know, sciences and so forth. So we have done many of the opportunity communities to be every other week. Now we've moved it in 2022 to every month. It is a Thursday, uh, four o'clock to five o'clock Eastern Standard Time, the third Thursday of every month. Uh, Last month, we actually had, the theme was, how do you deepen your relationships in this age of radical disruption? How do you use disruption as a way to deepen relationships? So we had about maybe 30 people, and we do breakouts where we actually get people to know each other in smaller groups, which is really powerful, very, very great way to start the year. Our theme for this quarter is leadership, and we will do another one on how do you learn to actually love disruption? as a way to improve the opportunity for conscious growth. That will be the third Thursday of February. And then we're doing one on courageous leadership and also honoring Women's History Month in March. It's really welcome for any leader to come. It's free and it's very, very collaborative and inclusive and diverse. So we'll drop in the show notes, we can drop the link to sign up for that community gathering. I've learned so much from other leaders, you know things that I, I had no idea that were, was going on in the world. That's the way you stay current is by getting people who are very different than you, who are in a different place in the world than you are to be able to tell you what's happening in this bigger, bigger universe.
0: So what I really love about this before we bring it to a close is that, for instance, I hate chaos, I hate disruption, I hate changes, but that's why people hire me because they bring me in either to change things Or when things are being disrupted or going through some kind of chaos, I have this way of being able to look at the landscape and say, okay, how can I calm this down and get us back to a place of stable performance, leverage the opportunity presented us, and be able to move forward? But then I also ask leaders, how can we be better at evaluating risk, seeing the disruptions and make it so we're agile and able to respond to it or even prevent the impact that it could have on us later, because there's nothing worse than being a victim and saying, oh my God, I got to catch up and how do we fix this? But if it is part of daily work, and you're constantly looking at it, it disrupts less and you can keep things running a little bit smoother. So <laughs> love the work you do. And I know so many people are going to want to learn more about your resources and your services, as well as the opportunity community. Can you bring this to a close and just tell us how the people that are really interested in your work, how can they? get a hold of you and learn more.
1: Uh, I will. I just want to make one last comment about change because it's sort of the theme of what we talked about today. Absolutely. I don't think people hate change. I think people hate to be forced to change Ooh, and there's a difference. Yeah. So I think when people own that this is the change I can make, that makes change more of an opportunity. When people feel like I am changing, fighting and screaming against my will, I think that's when change becomes painful and difficult. So we can cover that at another time, another conversation. So you can get in touch with us at our website, oplab.com, dot com, And we have a lot of free resources, uh, videos, podcast episodes from other shows. Now your show will be on our website soon. You can contact us directly at discover at oplab.com, dot And you can come to our Opportunity Community Sessions every third Thursday of the month. And you will find that on our website. And you have any questions, certainly you can email us directly.
0: So, Mark, I just want to thank you for being a great guest. I really enjoy this conversation because it's just so much about, you know, looking for the opportunities, appreciating the disruptions. How can we react better to it and also be able to ask better questions and anticipate these things versus letting it happen to us. So I do wish you continued success. And again, thank you so much for being a great guest.
1: It's my great pleasure, Devin. Thank you for the important work that you do.
0: Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your
1: goals.